Andy, my dude, have you heard of the magical website builder known as Squarespace? Ugh, not another Squarespace ad. I feel like every podcast is sponsored by them. <laughs> hey, 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 don't knock it till you try it. Yes, okay, it is overhyped. But actually, it lives up to the hype. Squarespace is like a website fairy godmother. With a click of a button, your site transforms into a beautiful masterpiece. A website fairy godmother? That sounds interesting. What makes it so magical? Well, for starters, those slick templates make anyone look like a professional web designer. Pick one, customize the colors and fonts to match your brand, and voila. Plus, the drag-and-drop fluid engine is so easy, your grandma could build a site on Squarespace. Well, she did knit me a lovely scarf last Christmas. Maybe website design is next. Exactly. And when you're ready to sell your Nana's handmade scarves online, Squarespace has built-in e-commerce. Add a store with one click. Get flexible payment options. Then watch those sales roll in. And when she wants to teach others her steezy scarf skills, Squarespace's new courses feature is just the ticket. Nana can set up her curriculum and enrollments and payments in a snap and become the next e-knitting influencer. Wow, you really sold me with the grandma angle. Sign me up for that free try. Just go to thenextreel.com slash Squarespace and transform your site into a beautiful Squarespace masterpiece. Well, thanks, Pete. Even though it's overhyped, Squarespace actually sounds perfect for Nana's site's needs. Appreciate the warning on the ads, though. I'll brace myself next time I listen to a podcast. Anytime. Let me know if you need any help getting that site up and running. Andy, can you believe we've almost hit 700 episodes of The Next Reel? I know, it's crazy. And with all the other episodes in our family of podcasts, we are well over 1,200 episodes of movie conversation. It's really pretty amazing that we've gotten to have these in-depth movie chats every week for over a decade now. And we couldn't have done it without our loyal community of film fans. Their support over the years has meant so much. For sure. That reminds me, we should give the merch store a shout out. Buying shirts from thenextreel.com slash merch is a great way listeners can continue to support the show. Plus, they get to support our great designs. Absolutely. I think sometimes folks forget we have a variety of shirts, mugs, phone cases, and more available. In fact, a great place to start is with a shirt sporting the Next Reel's logo. We also have that classic Fast Times Spicoli Surf School tee, or the weirdly popular Rusty's European Tour shirt. The one from National Foods European Vacation. Why is that so popular? <laughs> Search me, but we have sold a ridiculous number of those. I guess there are a lot of Rusties taking trips to Europe? We're always adding new designs based on movies we've covered, like our brand new design for a streetcar named Desire, featuring a streetcar named Desire. So if you want to rep your love of TNR and films, head to thenextreel.com slash merch. Every purchase helps us continue to have these weekly in-depth conversations. So visit thenextreel.com slash merch today. And as always, thanks for listening and being a part of the Next Real community. We've got lots more great movie chats coming your way. future our people deserve. What does Janine think is in that box, Caleb? I don't know, but she's testing divergence. Searching for the one who can open it. Find them. Every last one of them. Janine's never going to stop coming after us. It's time we fight back. We don't have the numbers. We will. Welcome, everybody, to the Next Reels Film Board, a monthly gathering of the Next Reels gang of thugs to take on one current release. This month, we're diving back into the mysterious world of Triss and her merry band of traitors with Veronica Roth's second divergent opus, Insurgent. Before we dig in, I would very much like to introduce the thugs in residence. Uh, representing abde- ab- abnegation, of course, the most selfless of the band, coming to us possibly from a moving car or a barrel in a river, Steve Sarmento. 
I'm insurgent. You're insurgent. This whole film board's insurgent. (laughs) And representing Erudite, the brightest star in our celestial curtain, Andy Nelson. (laughs) That's right, and don't you forget it. (laughs) And clearly, clearly representing Dauntless, brave enough to go train jumping at a midnight showing of this very film, all to be prepared for his first time as a member of the film board gang of thugs, Justin J.J. Yeager, welcome to the show, my friend. What if happens if I choose factionless? No, you can't choose because <laughs> I, I am factionless. I represent the oh, mildly bemused good. and generally bored. So that's that's my role. You don't get that. All right. <laughs> I'm so glad you are you are joining us on the show here. Thanks. I'm really happy to. It's super fun. Can, do you know what makes me the most excited? What's that? Is is I think you have you have a an uh, I think an illustrious IMDb credit, right? <laughs> I don't know how illustrious it is. My my legitimate IMDb credits are not even listed. You can find me in actual film credits, but the things that are in there are pretty much all short films. <laughs> Let me tell you how excited I was about your your film credits when my family and I actually watched glee the 3d concert movie oh you saw it come through That's oh awesome. yes oh yes my friend justin yeager you you ran the uh, cable camera in the concert right that's right i actually operated a cameron pace 3d camera and it was uh uh well since i'm a glee fan it was the thrill of my life but i was the only camera operator there who didn't know the character name or did know the character names of the actors so that was kind of cool. That is uh, that's major nerd cred. Uh, yeah, glad it was there for sure. Glad to bring that to this show. All right, so one of our fold is missing. You will notice that there is no Tommy Handsome on the dance card this evening, and I just wanted to uh, uh, let you know he did uh, he did phone it in. He literally phoned it in, uh, and he has included some of his responses uh, to this film that we can insert when we may be at a loss for words. So throughout the course of the night, you may just hear such Tommy Handsome classics as. really and well now i've heard everything and maybe for the more intense sequences that's not a knife this is a knife and you might also just hear what i don't know what plots are and i can even i can tell you now that tommy has sent us a flick chart song just for tonight. So there is a new Tommy Hansen flick chart song coming up later in the show. Uh, so uh, before we dig into Insurgent, uh, you should learn uh, more about us at thenextreel.com slash the film slash film board. Uh, uh, you can follow us on Twitter and Facebook at The Next Reel. And if you're ready to take the test and choose your faction, which you don't really have to worry about because there are seriously no real stakes in this thing and you can change your mind to anyone. How ridiculous that the future is still decided by dumb factions anyway. You should probably head over to Instagram.com slash The Next Reel and play The Next Reel's Instagram hashtag pony prize hashtag guess the movie challenge. And I usually don't remind people of that during the film board, but I want to do that right now because of Steve. What? What? Yeah. what I do? I think you took the longest to send the 2014 hashtag pony prize hashtag guess the movie challenge prize to our winner cam and ryan but you definitely won the prize to quote tommy handsome <laughs> i'm terrible <laughs> I, I apologize to cameron profusely for being such a horrible slacker but i i hope the little bonus piece made up for it it made up for it i think for all of us and there are pictures of that uh floating around the the work that you did to create a triumphant pony a very pretty triumphant pony in a case, it it warmed my heart, and I know it warmed Cameron's. That you could win things like like Steve's art by playing the Instagram Pony Prize Challenge, and you all should do that. Winners announced weekly on the next reel. Play to win. Uh, okay, here we go. This is it. I went back to basics, gentlemen. I listened to our Divergent podcast from last year. And time, I think, has done what it needed to do. It has cemented just how wrong you all were in the sidewalk of time, (laughs) reminding so many others in our wake of the misery that comes from living on the wrong side of history. Uh, Surprise revelation shortly, but first, our trip around the table. How did Insurgent stand up to your critical eyes? The hand starts with Andy. I also listened to the show again because I, like I said on the uh, the show earlier this week, I couldn't really remember what happened in Divergent. <laughs> and I was really trying to figure out what that movie was all about and what the point was. And so I listened to the show and, you know, while I still recall finding it somewhat enjoyable, it's not something that I feel like I would return to again. 
And I feel like Insurgent kind of ended up filling the same bill. It was enjoyable. I didn't have any problems with it. I think I en enjoyed it more than Divergent, but I also conversely find it uh, kind of instantly forgettable. Instantly forgettable passes to Steve. <laughs> <laughs> go ahead go ahead let's see okay. if your uh if your uh, uh naive optimism can hold up to instantly forgettable well i i do i did not listen to the divergent podcast but i i, I recall that there were somewhat favorable comments about the film and I, i've watched the film again since then and felt that yeah it was it was all right i don't think it merited the the well, somewhat tempered enthusiasm we may have had for it at that time. And I think the same goes for this one, that it, it does, you know, entertain. It doesn't do anything extraordinary or spectacular. Uh, I think this film was probably overhyped for what it, it turned out to be. And I'll, although I enjoyed it, I, I don't think it's going to be something that uh, endures. All right. Won't endure passes to JJ. Well, I, too listen to the divergent podcast but mostly because i'm a pinch hitter so i thought i was going to bring something completely different to this group <laughs> because of the fact that i would be the only one that just immediately recently listened to the podcast but it's good that you guys listen to it because i think i had come to the table or come to insurgent thinking that i would have uh, uh, a great way to defend sort of all of the uh benefits of the doubt that people were giving to Divergent and unfortunately uh, Insurgent took away pretty much all of that for me. Um, I'm really curious to hear what Andy found more enjoyable about Insurgent and I'm sure we'll get into that but um, for me uh, some of the things that I was willing to you know go to bat for about Divergent were just almost completely extinguished with what I saw in Insurgent. So I uh, was uh, left wanting uh, to go back <laughs> to go back to the fun that I thought I had at the first in the first film. Wow, <laughs> I almost want to dig more into that than the than insurgent. Sure. I will. I'll tell you. I found the. Um, I, I went with my daughter, as, as I have mentioned before. I take her to uh, generally make bad choices when I take my daughter to movies, but this one is one that you know she read all the books and and we saw Divergent together, and uh, so this was definitely one that was on on our list, and. I, I have to say it was strange sitting in the theater before it opened because she even could not tell me, could not remember what Divergent was really about. I mean, to, to, this, to this instantly forgettable comment, if, a, if my 12-year-old girl, who is squarely uh, in, the, uh, in the target segment, the target demographic of this film— can't remember what the what the first movie was about and really generally was only going to the movie this weekend because I had to see it for the show, that's got to tell you something about the foundations on which this series is built. At least it tells me something. I found the, the, you know, the experience watching the movie, and this is actually how she put it. I tried so hard to get her to be a guest on the show tonight. I really wanted to get oh, her voice saying awesome. this. She, uh, she is uh, not up for that. But her comment was, <laughs> And she actually had this comment about the book. And so, Steve, that's, this is going to go to you. Uh, that the book, Steve and Andy both read the book, right? Uh, Andy, you didn't read the I, book. No, right? I, I have not read the book. Okay. okay. I read the books. I, they were also forgettable to me. But the, okay. her comment about the book <laughs> I don't was, remember those either. Exactly. Was that it was, uh, uh, it, it was a lot of action, very little substance. And that, to me isn't even quite as it doesn't even make the the movie uh it doesn't even live up to that quite as much i don't think but but uh, you know it was it was a, a lot of flash and very little substance uh and i found the experience really sort of um sort of a snoozer generally okay so steve uh you uh, do you remember the book i just finished the book last week because i hadn't read it i had tried reading it before and it it just stalled out, and then I thought, well, let me see if I can make my way through this book before the movie so that I can sort of see what's going on. And, and given that my daughters had said, you know, from the trailer, they're like, that's not in the book. That's not in the book. What the heck are they doing to this movie? And I thought, okay, let's, let's see if there's something that they're doing to the story that will make sense of what these, why they made these changes and, and what's going on with this. And I, I just walked out of the theater – like an hour and a half ago. So it's still really fresh in my mind as far as the film and finishing the book last week. And it's, 
The only thing that I can say. So, so here, here's what went wrong is the book, I think, was was there were some plot problems with the book where it really didn't do anything and it, it hurried to the end. And then in terms of adapting it to the film, let me just say these 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 words to you. Batman Forever, Batman and Robin, Lost in Space, Practical Magic, I Robot, I Am Legend, Winter's Tale, Insurgent. Ooh. Akiva Goldsman wrote this one. Did not write Divergent. And I think that there was an attempt to bring somebody that had some experience and credibility to um, larger films that this film was going to have a lot of money invested in it and they didn't want to take chances like they did on the first one. Hmm. Uh, And I I really feel like there was – the changes were made. I can see why structurally they may have made some changes, but it still felt really – flawed and didn't come together to say i think what this larger story might be trying to tell but again i don't know what that is now with these changes that they've made in the film and again the book i I haven't read the third one so I'm, i'm trying to see what is really trying to go on with this story from the book so it's it's sort of i'm in a i'm in the middle of a muddled mess both in the in the books and in this what a quadrology that they're turning this thing into. This this was very much my sense when we first started this thing that, that, that you know, the problem really fundamentally is the source material. I had the same problems that I have with the movie that I had with the book. I think the the, the I have trouble with the series. Uh, but I want to go, JJ, you said that uh, you actually had some, some fun and interest with Divergent, and that was extinguished with Insurgent. Can you reflect on that a little bit? Yeah. So in general, and from listening to your guys, to the podcast about Divergent, a lot of what we focused on in terms of the factions and the splitting of the groups had to do with that going back to high school click thing. And and I totally get why that's where we would go, because this is young adult and that's the thought. But what I brought to it in looking at Divergent was really talking about it in terms of politics and um, and thinking about it as 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 potentially, and this is, again, I'm looking at it now, I feel like I'm giving maybe too much benefit of the doubt to, to Roth and to the movie makers in that uh, the stakes that, that were unable to agree to in that first, that first installment was the idea of, you know, I, I don't want to point any fingers at one particular political party, but you imagine maybe growing up in a family of hawks when you're a dove or vice versa. And you think about like the fact of, you know, Tris or Beatrice at the time growing up in a family of peaceniks for lack, you know, I'm not trying to be pejorative here, but in the, the peaceful family, but then feeling the need to go up and do her duty or defend or that sort of thing. Right. So she chooses to go to war. And I guess that was those kind of things are the things that I thought that actually brought some weight to the first film to me. And actually, those, again, I, I really feel like it's me giving that film the benefit of the doubt now, and because now when I look at it, that we come to uh, simple things like the whole stakes of eliminating the the program that was mind-controlling all of the Dauntless as they did it in the first installment, and then immediately turning around an insurgent, and the erudites have created a completely second a V2 of mind control that they're going to sip on everyone. So the stakes that I was going to give them the benefit of the doubt of in the first version where, oh, yeah, well, they eliminated it. They eliminated the program. There's, they're going to have to do something different. They just went, came back and did it again. So any benefit of the doubt that I wanted to give them in that first episode was eliminated here in Insurgent. And, you know, for me personally, in all these types of, even in the young young adult versions of these kind of things, like if you want to say Hunger Games, the, the Twilight or Divergent, the thing that I really latch on to in these series is the mythology. And I feel like in Divergent, they actually did a great job of that initial setup of the mythology of this world building kind of thing. I was, I bought into that in the first one. And because of all of the mixing of that, in insurgent that it, all of that fun part of uh, figuring out where you belong and 
making a commitment and all that and just kind of went away. And that was something that was really frustrating to me about the second episode. I don't know if that answers your question, Pete, but really that was the thing that I, I, I hoped that they were going to get more into. And I feel like they muddled it so much in Insurgent that I don't even know where they're going to go from here. Yeah, no, I, it, you know, I think that's a really good point. And I, you know, I was, I was one, uh, you know, last time around, I did not buy as much into the world building. I thought it was a touch too on the nose and sloppy, but, but I, I totally see your point. Andy, what do you think about this whole, how, how did the, the film structurally hold up to the the world building stuff that you you did i think like in the first film i think you that was stuff you bought right yeah i bought into it in the first film uh, i think um the the problem that i had with the first film um uh luckily i as i rediscovered listening to the show was that it was the um the, the training i felt like it really bogged down because there was like the, that hour in the middle of just watching watching Triss train and learn to become a dauntless that really seemed to slow things down um and the rest of the movie i felt a little more enjoyable this one it didn't it didn't have that slowdown for me i guess um i don't know i i think that it works but i think that uh i think it does have some inherent problems in the uh in the just in the in the way that the script is structured in this one too and uh, you know i don't know i a lot of it goes to Roth and the world that she created. I think it is an interesting world, um, but you know, clearly it it does have some flaws. And and as we get to the the mysterious message that's revealed in this one, that uh, is really designed by the the founders, uh, as like I don't know, Triss's grandmother or something that created this or has this message that kind of is there to kind of explain the factions and explain the divergence and all of that, uh, all of a sudden it was just like, I, I don't know. It, it seemed like now they're basically just like, you know, it's like the dome here, right? Yeah. You know, that Stephen King book. It's like, you know, society is trying to figure themselves out. So they basically put everybody into this thing and, and they're doing this giant, giant experiment on them. And I, you know, that part to me really kind of, uh, I don't know. I, I don't know what to really make of it i guess i i I don't know anything about allegiance so i I don't really know where they're going to be going with it um as far as the world building but i mean i think in the sense of the world building i think you guys are right the the nice element of the structure of the first story was that design of these people picking these young people picking a faction and it did feel very very much like young kids having to pick the click and and figure out who they're going to be. And that is largely absent from this one. What I do like, what they did with this one, is they, I mean, yeah, they threw that all out. But when when getting to the last sort of section of the film where we've got sort of Triss... Uh, trying to unlock this this box, and she's got all these tests she's got to go through. We we sort of learn what the strengths are, and I know we cover that in the first one. But to really see that those personalities in action, perhaps in their purest form, to open this box that she's got to pass a, a dauntless test to prove she's dauntless and erudite and amity and all of those things, and to see you know what what that means for that society of if you can be all of these things, that is the ideal that this uh, sort of project was set up for was we need people ultimately to become all of these things. We'll set them up as factions, but really a true, complete person, the person that we need to be is somebody that has all of these attributes and that, that balance. And I thought, there's an interesting concept, there's an interesting idea, because I think the whole idea of the, the factions does, and I think we discussed this, sort of like that, that high, you know, your typical teen high school movie where we see all the factions in the high school and, and, and we've got our new loner that's coming to school and where will they fit in and how do they play, play in with these groups. And this film saying, you don't need to identify with one of these, but, but seek to be a balance of all of these things to, to be a complete and whole person. And that's the ideal, to not be possibly biased or to shun certain things, but to embrace them in balance. But do you think it mattered after, I, I mean, they kind of dropped the whole thing for the entire film until the ending. Yeah. And I think that's, I think part of the, the, the weakness of the way this story ended up being structured with trying to get things to be, to, we need these things to happen to get to this point. And that's what bothered me a lot in both the book and the film, that there were things that just we, sort of, you know, the plotting of, well, we need to set these things up so that then we get these payoffs later on. 
uh, and we, whereas in the first one, I felt like there was this discovery of the world, whereas this was, okay, we're just going to observe things happening within this world until we get to the end point where, okay, here's what this story is really about. And the rest was, well, can you, can we entertain you while you endure this important information we need to get to you so you understand what's going to happen later? Right. And I think it, a lot of that goes to, Steve, what you're talking about, about the source material. And this might be how we can differ or how to separate kind of the books from the movies in it. In that, for me, what I liked in Divergent was the stuff outside of the action. In fact, I disliked the action in Divergent because I just don't believe it. I don't, especially don't believe it in the case of Shailene Woodley. Um, Hallelujah. Talk, Hallelujah. Amen. talk more about that later. <laughs> That's something where literally when I was listening to your podcast, I had to stop it and call Pete and yell at his voicemail. <laughs> I was like, she's ridiculous. Uh, sorry, Charlene. I love how you cry. Um, but she cries really well. And, and seriously, like if that's what they wanted, they, they've cast it well. But no, the point that I want to go to is about what Steve was talking about of the whole thing about with the second book, too, in that it was a lot of action with very little substance. So maybe, you know, in listening to that, really what that means to me is that that's why this movie wasn't as great to me. I, I wasn't willing to give it the benefits of the doubt there because the action failed me in the first movie. And so with having more of that here, I, it's not like I believed it more. It, it actually kind of made this movie less enjoyable for me um, because the substance is the only place that I was willing to make apologies for, for movie one. And it, like, like you guys just said, they didn't even really revisit that until the very end of Insurgent. And that was, was tough for me to deal with as, a, as an audience member. You know, it's an interesting thing because I, I'm i not sure, and I'm going to say this out loud, and I trust you guys will correct me. It doesn't really follow uh, the middle movie paradigm, right, in the series. Like, you expect Act 2 in a series of three uh, to be darker, right? And this one ends on kind of a surprisingly up note. I mean, they win. They get the message out. This is the whole thing they've been trying to do, and they learn a great new thing. And what is really, really interesting about, uh, what's the third one, Astringent? No, Allegiant. <laughs> Allegiant. I have also read Allegiant, and I remember thinking, to JJ's point, the the, the stuff that was not action in Allegiant uh, is the most interesting stuff. I mean, we have we've set it up here with Insurgent, right? We've had the uprising, and we've had we've overturned the evil overlord of Erudite, and the factionless are in control. But you know what happens now is the political struggle that comes with uh, the upstart kind of the new dictator, right? And that Naomi Watts is is the uh, is the new overlord, and her world is going to be fraught with just as much uh, sort of political struggle as the old one. Um, and, and so that I find actually, you know, f- philosophically, politically, strategically interesting, whether they are able to pull it off um, with any degree of sophistication beyond what we've seen in this in the second film is, is, is up for grabs. But it gets to this point about uh, about setups of middle movies. This is no Empire Strikes Back, right? I mean, this is no uh, this this doesn't give us that sense of of gloom. Um, it, it just it gives us, I think, more uh, kind of pomp and circumstance. Am I wrong? Well, I think the other thing that that middle or second you know second films in a trilogy or franchise can do is they, they in the first film or first story can be very contained around that individual character in the, the next story is that opportunity to, to crack it up in, into a much much larger world that the hero is now seeing this the scope of things and we get a little bit of that here of oh there was this larger planet work um but i agree there was there was it was not dark enough. If if Naomi Watts is supposed to be a sinister character, it really doesn't come across that way. The closest I thought that they were getting to go to, to be really dark was when um, Eric, Jai Courtney's character, you know, they they storm and he's 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 scanning people with the magical divergent scanner. And there's the little girl and he scans her and he's like forty percent and he's like, oh, that's not good enough. I'm like, he's gonna shoot like an eight year old girl. They're gonna do that in this film. Wow, they're really. No, they're not. And I thought, you know, why didn't they shoot the eight-year-old girl? Well, I thought, you know, if they're, they're going to really make this dark and edgy yeah. and really make him a really dark and sinister person, because you know, if, if we're going to push for that to really raise the stakes of good versus evil of of something, that you know, are we going to go there? And they're they're just you're right, Pete. There was no 
um, impending disaster, really, yeah. you know, the stakes just yeah. weren't there and there what there wasn't some dark shadowy, you know, something coming in to, to infiltrate this story. Well, and I love that no, you brought not- up the setting, right? I love that you brought up this expansion of worlds. And I'm going to go back to Empire Strikes Back because here we get, you know, we get Dagobah, right? I mean, we get right. to we get to go to a wholly new place. And what do we have in Insurgent? We get essentially errands out to this uh, to the commune <laughs> in the field. Like there, there's no real sense of of <laughs> of expansiveness to this world beyond right. kind of wrecked Chicago. It's, it's just like, here, we're going to go out to the field for a little bit. There's no real, there's no real threat there because what do we meet in the field? We meet people who love each other. Like the, <laughs> where are the stakes in that? Octavia Spencer is scarred. So, you know, it's a really dangerous place out there. Man, she got high billing for her role here. She sure yeah. did. For her three minutes in the film. Yeah. Well, well, I and did you, think... you bring up Empire, but I mean, honestly, if we compare it to something that's a little bit more in the same school of it, and we look at like Catching Fire, right oh, now, yeah. and I, I yeah. haven't seen Mockingjay, but you think about Catching Fire, and you and you think about all the fun stuff from Hunger Games, and then they capitalize the bulk of the film, like eighty percent of Catching Fire, is the fun stuff taken to another level, and then they take the the big transcendent thing and they give you that in the last 15 minutes of the movie where I feel like insurgent what they did is they eliminated all the fun stuff from divergent they made all the we're going to destroy the the story and mythology that you thought you had and they make that the bulk of insurgent and I just don't think they do a good job of that I mean Andy I think I can't I'm not sure if it was you or Steve who brought up the thing about the the the, the girl that's about to be killed instead what Veronica Roth did is she took her little magic uh you know uh divergent uh tool and put it on her character and said eric yeah you're only 40 percent important so i'm just gonna kill you off here because he was gonna yeah he's gonna get really sinister and oh this is gonna become dark but no your your character is not super interesting so we're just gonna end you in this part of the movie like what what you've been reading how how useful are you to the plot (laughs) yeah right yeah right you're only 40 percent useful yeah we can cut you out actually actually if you look really closely at that tool there's a little red line that's labeled plot utility (laughs) and you have to if you cross that line you don't get killed but to the point of uh, to the point of of sequels, I, I you know I think James Cameron also um, when he decided to do Aliens, I think a big part of that was he said you know you can't just go back and do the same thing. You have to change it. You have to there there has to be something new, some new element, and that's why he came up with the Queen. And uh, that you know he knew that it would have more aliens, but you can't just have more aliens. You need to change it up a bit. Same thing in Terminator Two with the liquid metal. And this one doesn't have anything new. It's it really is essentially the exact same thing. I mean, yes, it was nice to explore some of the other factions a little bit. Um, you know, the, whether the you know the hippies or the or the black and white people, but. But it wasn't, there was nothing new in the film. If we were to uh, hang a lantern on a representative that anchors this film in exactly the same space as the first, it's the one and only Mikai Pfeiffer. <laughs> All I could think about was Tommy every time he showed Me up. Me too. <laughs> Me too. Appropriately. I'm Mikai I'm Pfeiffer, and now I'm going to give you an order as Mikai Pfeiffer. <laughs> and then he got shot, and I thought, oh. I want to see this film with Tom so, so that I can just see, see him just raise his arm, sit up, yeah! <laughs> Uh, you know, I really, that's, uh, Andy, I think to your point, I, I think you're right, man. There, the more I think, I'm looking at the cast list, right? I'm just going to, even Kate Winslet, straight across, same same bit of evil. E- that, and I, this is another, back to my daughter, I said, so what, you know, we're talking about who changes, who, who changes and learns and grows over the course of this film. Typically, we're looking at the protagonist to change and learn a valuable lesson and move forward. And, and, and she thought for a minute, she sat back and she, she's kind of in the car and she's really musing, like she's looking out the window. She, I can tell she's really working at it. She said, I guess maybe short hair. <laughs> like that was the extent of it. And I think she's exactly right. Can we, can we talk about the hair at all? The there's, fact there's that, more, that she starts... more there than that, Pete. There's yeah. more in it. Unfortunately, it gets buried. It does get there. buried, yes. It's, it's, it's the guilt over shooting Will that's giving her these nightmares, but then it's completely dropped, and then it's at the end where she's facing herself, and she's based, you know, when she's having the conversation with her mother and the whatever whatever test it was, the Amity test or candor yeah. test of, you know, that she's got to be willing to forgive herself. You know, yeah. those types of things. And I thought that's it, fair. That's fair. It just it, it it's there, but it really got underplayed. It was flat. Of, 
it was right, very flat, flat. And, it, and and that was no you know it it didn't we didn't see a transformation in in Triss and as far as how she behaved or what that that uh enlightenment you know of okay this is what i need to do she doesn't act any different it's not like okay this is going to help me resolve this issue with this person or anything it was just oh i i learned this about myself but now i'm going to continue going on and fighting and and trying to undermine you know these evil plans but it didn't give her any special skills or knowledge or anything that the hero usually gains in their journey to help them transcend and you know overcome the conflict it it just was there and again there's so many things about this film that were just there i mean you look at this cast that is so underutilized there's so much potential for so many of these cast members in other things i don't know if it's you know what happened but it just i felt like meh most of the way through even the special effects were to me just eh yeah, it, it, you know, in particular, eh, when they CGI'd the characters, you know, during the, the I mean, they, those were really, uh, they were, uh, you just, I, I guess I'm expecting more now. Um, well, and I saw it in IMAX 3D. Yeah. IMAX 3D, I should have been blown away. I saw Catching Fire in IMAX, and that was That was just, stunning. Oh, my God. It was stunning. Yes, it was stunning. And this was just, well, everything's big, and it's dimensional, and, and JJ coming to you know hairdos pete and i already started in the back channels talked about you know it was the most textured and dynamic bedhead i've seen in a film uh, in a long time nobody so on set nobody on set looked up and said do you realize we've doubled the height of her head in yeah. hair nobody noticed that in the series there was an audible laugh in the theater and this was a laugh like this wasn't the last time i saw it, it was like with the the blue hair crowd like i ended up on the aarp right. bus this time it was with the target segment i mean i was sitting in there with like 12 to 16 year old girls and their dads right and it was dad sitting like 10 seats away and uh they they were laughing and this was a serious moment in the film it should be i mean i mean as a symbol right is it in the book i mean that's my question there and if it's in well, no, not the bedhead part. Veronica Roth expands oh, yeah. uh, 20 pages <laughs> describing this hair and its oh, import the hair, to the faction the hair, system. Are the you, haircuts are you in the book. No. <laughs> okay, good. That's all of chapter seven. No, but the uh, haircut's in the book. But it's according to Sophie, it's the wrong haircut. It's uh, yeah, it's more of a bob. Like, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Should have been that, a bob, right? Yeah. And, and, and thing, you know, she looks positively masculine with after the haircut. And I just feel like it's like who I, I am so confused at who they want Triss to be. And that's, I guess, why in the first in the first film, I was totally comfortable with uh, with Shailene Woodley in her, the awkward uh, abnegation. Like, I'm a young girl. This is uncomfortable for me. And she plays that well. She does not necessarily play the mature, badass, I'm going to kick everybody's ass thing. And when she cuts her hair, when she goes to that route, it doesn't help. She's still left with this little girl look to me. And it's like, I, they, if it was an emotional point, they lost it. And throughout the rest of the film, she just, she never lived in it. You know, and, and my question, I mean, after I told Pete this on, her, on his voicemail, too, is when I saw Divergent, it started with a the Sensational Now trailer followed by a, what's the other one, the Fault in Our Stars trailer. So I literally uh, thought I had just bought the Shailene Woodley, like, pack, like, for huge <laughs> Shailene Woodley fans. And, and I was like, in all of those, she has short hair, too. So I was fully convinced that they only cut her hair because that's how she likes to wear it. So I needed to ask <laughs> if, if, if it was actually in the book or if they made that stuff up. So anyway. That's pretty good. I uh, this it, it, That's one of the interesting, I'm going to say about Shailene Woodley, I mean, I, I thought the Fault in Our Stars was really very good i thought that was that was um, wonderful casting on her part and i think she did a great job in that in that film in the spectacular now um y- y- this was just i you know this was just a weird weird role for her still yeah, i don't have a huge problem with her i mean i know you guys have more of a problem with her as the action star that doesn't bug me so much you know having seeing her running around with the gun and stuff it's you know it i don't know it doesn't bother me a lot but um I don't know. There's something about her emoting, I think, that 
that uh, I think is a little much. But according to my wife, who has read the books, that's what her biggest problem with the books was, is just how much emoting she does in the books. It's just like all of this like constant inner turmoil about, you know, does he love me and blah, blah, blah. Oh, just does wait. Just goodness, wait till the next book, because the next, okay. <laughs> oh, God, the next book is actually goes back and forth uh, in terms of the primary narrator between, because it's all, you know, first person, right? And it's all from the perspective of, of oh. Triss in the book. That's how all the books have been? Yeah, the first two. And then the oh. third one, it goes back and forth between Tobias and Triss. And so, because they're in different places, and so occasionally you'll just wake up and, hey, now I'm Tobias, and uh, you go for a chapter or two with him. Uh, speaking of Tobias, Theo James, uh, how do you think Four did in this uh, in this uh, outing? I like him, uh, but I don't think this film gave him anything to do. I mean, I, I liked him in the first one. I was He was winning me over, but in this film, there wasn't... I didn't, there was nowhere to go. I mean, I guess he's, he's angry at some points, but in general, it's, I don't know. There, there just wasn't much for him there. He's kind of an anchor, right? I mean, he's kind of an anchor. He is. He's, I mean, he, I think he's fine in the, in the story. The character, I feel like this was one where I felt like there was definitely more in the book. And I, you know, Mm. this is just my assumption, but there, there seems to be a very interesting relationship story between him, his father and his mother that's only been touched on in the films. And oh, I feel yes. like, I feel like there's uh, just, I, I want to learn more about him. And I don't know if we're going to an Allegiant, maybe because it is partly his story. I don't know. But I, I feel like there's more to him that I just, you know, I wish that they would just tell me. Yeah. It feels like a tool. Yeah. It feels like a yeah. tool here. Yeah. So if it's, if it's more robust in the books, that's fine. But it really, all of the parent-children relationships feels like a tool by the author to get us where we need to go emotionally with the film. And that's, it's frustrating if you're trying to be objective because I just, I, again, I, I'm just not buying it right now. I, you know, I think my, my opinion of Theo James, uh, and I think it aligns with yours, the fact that he, he was a tool, the same can be said for Jai Courtney, for Ansel Elgort, and for Miles Teller. And that was probably the biggest disappointment, uh, is not getting to see Miles Teller do something more broader, more interesting. Um, you know, and I find myself really pro Miles Teller right now because I was so excited by his performance in Whiplash that I was, I walked into here looking for, you know, gosh, maybe, maybe secretly they've decided this is going to be a Miles Teller vehicle <laughs> and, and and everything else will we're just going to switch to the hero is now peter and we're going right. to follow his story uh and i was i was pretty disappointed that they made him not only did they make him not interesting they made him the you know the judas and uh and and lampooned him at the end getting him punched in the nose stealing the guns uh, you know it was it was uh you know he again he was he became a puppet and that, that made me sad that was a little disappointing but it was it was true of all the supporting characters i mean yes. uh you know octavia spencer we already mentioned uh you, you know all of the former dauntless people zoe kravitz maggie q um, ansel elgort pops in but barely uh you know it's it, you really don't spend time with anybody i mean daniel day kim i love watching daniel day kim yeah and i mean he he i thought that part with the uh Whatever they are, the candor was was mm-hmm. interesting, um, but I, again, I just wish that there was more of him. That whole th- that that scene really disappointed me because I thought, okay, here's this crucial moment where they're it, let's, let's forget just how poorly you know set up it was that 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 four needs to basically say, hey, why don't you put us on trial here and give us a truth serum? I was like, oh, okay, whatever, we need to get to that. Fine, that was poorly executed compared to the book, whatever. But here's this crucial moment where they've got a struggle to tell the truth. And I thought, okay, we're going to get something really interesting visual to convey this. And for Theo James, it's like, ask him two questions. Okay, you get to go. And then Shailene Woodley, sort of hug yourself really hard and cry and and twitch around. And apparently that's going to convey this deep, intense struggle to, to not betray that she killed one of her own friends to the her friend Christina, who had this very close friendship with the guy she killed, I thought, and all we get is just sort of this close-up of her, you know, sort of hugging herself. I thought, what? Really? Here's this critical point. I thought, here we're going to really ramp up and get into something interesting. And it just, again, it left me flat. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and never mind that they're dauntless and, you know, they're not supposed to have those feelings and they all went through that training and it's, you know, for all intents and purposes, a completely defensible (laughs) 
uh, she was in self-defense. So, oh, you know, that is you know, a really good point that we have, yeah. we have evidence that they have, they have been trained with the same sort of tool. That goes back to my original point about the fact that the things that I wanted to give them the benefit for in the first thing, they yeah. just destroyed it in this film and yeah. for the purposes of, of where they wanted to take the story. And that left me just, you know, with no direction. Okay. How much of this goes to, um, to Robert Schwenke? Good question. Is it Robert Schwenke or is it like Steve pointed out at the beginning, the writers? I mean, this had some of the most painfully clunky dialogue. I mean, I, I started laughing when Kate Winslet, after she kills that divergent, and she's like, I've been assuming all divergents are the same. And, and, and she, keep, she keeps talking. She's like, there must be just one divergent. And whatever her monologue was, was yeah. so, I was like, Kate Winslet, like, this is more painful than watching Natalie Portman in the Star Wars, the Star Wars prequels. It was so bad. And I was just oh, laughing man. in the theater at how bad that line was. And I felt so bad for her. I mean, Oscar-winning Kate Winslet suffering <laughs> painful lines. I mean, Robert Schwenke, I mean, geez, he did R.I.P.D. I, you know, I don't, I don't really give him much credit either way. Um, so I, I, you know, I blame it all on the script. I, you know, the script, uh, let's, as we go back through, um, you know, the writing credits for the script, right? We, we, Brian Duffield hasn't done much. He's got a credit on here and he's, he's got a, a fairly short, a, a really short, uh, CV on this front. We've already talked about Akiva Goldsman. Uh, Mark Bomback always, all, also has a credit and, and, you know, Mark Bombeck has the Wolverine uh, on his uh, credit. He has Total Recall on his credit list, uh, though he also has Dawn of the Planet of the Apes on his credit list. So, um, yeah, Race to Witch Mountain. Uh, he also Live is on Die Hard. Live Free or Die Hard. He also has Deception on his uh, as as a credit. So, um, it, it's hard to know on these multi credit things just how who did the bulk of the work. But my goodness, it's kind of a roller coaster. With some of these guys, yeah. with two of these, both of these guys, yeah, yeah. and it's interesting that it, that in both for Bombach and uh, what is it, Gold Goldman, yeah, Goldsman. Uh, that the uh, Goldsman that in in both their cases, yes, they've written some of the things that are integral to these franchises, but in both cases, they have potentially franchise killing. Uh, yes. films to their credit <laughs> yes. which I mean is a scary thing when when Steve was listing that list for Akiva Goldsman I was like uh, wait a second is this a positive or a negative <laughs> well yeah then you see like a beautiful mind you know and right you go, oh, it's good oh, and okay. bad yeah. but that's like that's sort of the, the outlier when you look at things that had potential and just I think are classic cases of of wasted opportunities i mean lost in space to launch a franchise you know and then you know the the the, the killing off the tim burton you know batman franchise with right batman right. forever batman and robin but then you uh, get, you know, there's a run of, uh, you know, uh, and I don't, I don't know. What do, where do run, you guys stand? Where do you guys stand on A Beautiful Mind, Cinderella Man, Da Vinci Code, I Am Legend, and Angels and Demons? And iRobot was in there. I skipped it. <laughs> so it's not really a run. Then it's just Cinderella Man. <laughs> it's more of a, I'm going to call that a triple jump. <laughs> just call it his Ron Friedman. I mean, I've Ron. Uh, Ron, Ron, yeah. Go, uh, yeah, Ron, Ron Howard. Yeah, Ron, Ron Howard. Ron Howard. Yeah. Right. The Beautiful Mind Cinderella Man, because I didn't see Da Vinci and Code. The well, Angels they're all they're all Ron yeah. Howard, all yeah. four. Yeah. yeah, you know, I mean, they're all. I I I'm in the minority, I think, as far as thinking a Beautiful Mind is something great. Uh, I didn't really care for it that much. Uh, same with Cinderella Man, Da Vinci Code, Angel and Angels Demons. I mean, they're all enjoyable. I, I think Akiva Goldsman is, you know, he has a. Some storytelling skill that can be crafted, but I don't think he's anything great. Here's the thing. I didn't find them. I agree with you. I mean, I, I really do. I didn't find those films uh, worth talking about on the merits of ridiculous dialogue. Right. That never really enters right. the conversation when I think about those films. Every. Every one of them, uh, well, I guess this too, they're all adaptations. So he's only working right. with what he's given. Well, that's that's true, but I, I guess I get my challenge again would be since we said insurgent, you know, again, sort of being ultimately forgettable. Pete, as much as you may, you know, want to look at that that run of films, how many of those are ones that you frequently go back to over and over again? I am. Or are they ones that you? Oh, I am. I, I am. Legend's okay. the only one. 
I, I, I really enjoyed I Am Legend. I think there's a lot going for that film. Read, read the novella. It's much better. Oh, yeah. I did. I did. No, I agree with oh, you. Okay. Yeah. 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 Uh, but I, I, you know, I celebrate the, the canon. So, yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh, but, but you're, I mean, you have a point and, and it's, yeah. it, you know, I, I don't go back to, I don't go back to that particular well, but I don't, I mean, this, yeah. this film is, is full of some dialogue that's, that's oh. reasonably toxic. Is it, what was it? Naomi Watts at one point where I can't remember what happened. She basically says, get him out of here. And I thought, really? Let's <laughs> get Naomi Watts on set. what Naomi Watts brings say, to the table. Get, get him out of here. And I thought that that's, that's what you're going to give her. That's that's it. Yeah, yeah. Like, she oh, she she wasn't particularly uh, particularly. Um, I don't know. Is maternal the word? Oh my gosh! I st- I've just suddenly felt old because I'm like, w- we're gonna cast Naomi Watts as Theo James' mom. Oh wait, did she just pay Ray and King Kong a little while ago? Why am I? Oh, <laughs> it was longer ago than you may think. Yeah, about ten years ago. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Like she can't be old enough to play his. It's, it's the same ten years for all of us, Steve. <laughs> yeah, I know, I know. That just means I'm getting older. She was. I'm actually. I got. I got to check this out. So he, Theo James, was born, was born December sixteenth in eighty four. She, she was born, born in sixty eight. I was oh. just doing the exact same thing. So. Dang. Yeah. All right. That sort of nails it. I guess she. I guess she could. Yeah, uh, that yeah. doesn't that doesn't mean I like it. Although she has, it seems like her career has, uh, you know, she's uh, I don't know, maybe just I wasn't watching films that she'd been in, but it seems like hadn't seen her for a while, and then you know, just lately she's been popping up in a in a lot of things with Insurgent, uh, While We're Young, Saint Vincent, Birdman, uh, yeah, Birdman. So again, it seems like that's sort of a resurgence here in her and- career of, of, of finding a particular. Being able to make that transition, I guess. I don't know. At the top of Andy's Naomi Watts celebration list, movie 43. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, there you go. There you go. The Uh, film board that never was. All right, did you know Andy Andy sort of threw uh threw out uh, our our director's discussion and I want to get you guys. You guys have any comments uh, about uh, Mr. Schwenke? Schwenke? There was nothing spectacular about it. Again, there like I said there was nothing that really wowed me in any of this. There were sequences that were somewhat entertaining, but I think the writing and again I think just trying to I don't know, visual effects to wow that just don't. Having people, like, like, let's spend a lot of time on Theo James disintegrating into little flaky pieces of whatever. Just, I, it, like, the camera lingered there as if this was something that was, you know, I go back to, like, Jurassic Park of Sam Neill looking up and we just see this majestic dinosaur and, and the audience is being in awe. And I'm like, this shot is not something that we need to linger on. Why are we spending so much time here? So I, 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 you know, I don't know that I can blame him. He was limited with what he had to work with. I wasn't angry at the film that I walked out. I wasn't frustrated. I wasn't yelling at the scream. I was, you know, somewhat, you know, engaged and mildly entertained throughout. So, and I'd say I, the same thing went for RIPD. But, you know, Flight Plan, Times Traveler's Wife, Red, I thoroughly enjoyed those films. I so. was going to say, I thought you guys were were on the bus for the uh, geriatric action film. Red. <laughs> I I haven't seen Red Two, but I like Red One a lot. Uh, my thought yes. about you know, if you want to talk about camera, I, there was only one, literally only one shot in all of Insurgent that I thought was special, um, and that was as they were escaping from Amity, and they're uh, they're they do a reverse kind of POV shot as they're running to the train, and it's on Eric as they're coming out of the forest. And okay, the camera yeah. is moving rapidly away from Eric as he charges at you. And there's a little shake to it, even though it's not yeah. necessarily meant to be shaky cam. That's a really special shot that you don't see uh, very often. A lot of times they don't want to, they don't want to take away from the, the focus of the speed of the, the chaser to show the same direction of movement. But I thought that was special because I thought they made it still look rapid and still look, uh, still give you that sort of suspense that you need in that. The reason why I bring it up is that there was only one that I noticed whereas in divergent again different director there was a lot of really special shots there was a lot of things that were set up 
to give you an attractive view of this story that they were trying to set up. And Insurgent, and this kind of goes back to that thought of there's a lot of action here and not a lot of substance. I feel like it, it doesn't look from a direction standpoint. It doesn't look like Schwedke spent a lot of time with the shot, setting things up because he was focused on the action. And that probably goes back to the source material. So I don't necessarily want to fault him too much. But in looking at that, in seeing it, and looking for the beauty in the story, I didn't really see that in the direction. So that's why I, I don't really have much to say about it except for that one shot that I thought was special as, as I was going through it. Well, that, that certainly digs into Bolschwenke and, and his you know um, cinematographer of choice looks like uh, Florian Ballhaus. Uh, who has done, looks like all of his other films, uh, including, let's see, uh, One Chance, The Book Thief, The Novice, Lullaby, and then, of course, Insurgent, uh, most recently. So, um, And Marley and Me. So if you want to cry about dogs, uh, that's going to be the one to do. What else, uh, what else is on your mind uh, around this film as we, uh, as we wrap it up? Anybody else in particular you want to talk, to, talk about? Can we talk about music? Oh, yes. Let's talk about the music. I think it's really interesting that in the first film, they have all these pop music cues, and especially they have three different Ellie Goulding music cues, which it it wouldn't have been my choice. And I I really love Ellie Goulding, but I didn't think they kind of matched. I think they were were using it in kind of that young adult, here, we're going to be cool, in that Twilight kind of theme of we're putting in pop music. And then Insurgent, there's no music cues at all. Why, why would that be? It, you mean uh, no no pop cues? No pop you no, yeah no pop music cues. There's nothing that comes up. It, it seems like a no, completely a, different choice. What about there was like the, all this? There was a song at some point toward the the last act the, of the film. Yes, yeah. and it not, was not, more not kind of credits, like the coda you, you of mean, everything. But yeah, in, in general, they they used it multiple times in Divergent, and that was the only right. one that was present that I could count. In what is search. well, that's an interesting comment too, because I I you know sort of made a mental note about just the the general throb of the of that bass undertone, that sort of digital bass. Uh, you know, wow, 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 wow. It's it is pretty constant throughout the whole film, and there's there's some other sort of lyric, um, you know, instrumental score on top of that. But um, it, it really felt much more like kind of a um, kind of a trance video uh, to me. You know, I, I felt like they were trying. He was trying to go for something, and the the music is uh, Joseph Trapanese or Trapanese, Trapanese, Trapanese. We're gonna go with that. Who, who actually is uh, collaborated with Daft Punk. Uh, mm. on, uh, on like Tron, Tron Legacy. Legacy so, yeah. So it, he actually has the, you know, that might be why it feels that way for you. Yeah. And, uh, you know, an oblivion. And I'm just thinking right. about that. Like that is a very different sort of acoustic choice for this film. And, uh, you know, he was a, a, one of the additional arrangers on Divergent. And I wonder if, uh, if that was, um, you know, what, what decision, you know, what, what forced that decision or what pushed him to move in that direction. I think that's an interesting one because the moving away from the pop cues, you know, um, it, boy, it sure makes the soundtrack uh, much more of a music inspired by the film than music from the film. It just seems like a choice to me. I don't know why they would choose. I I guess I, I, I can't figure out the why behind that. It seems much more sense, even though I didn't necessarily agree with the Ellie Goulding choices or, and some of the others in the first one, it seemed like that, fit what they were trying to do with the audience more than what they did with insurgent it is it is strange i i just think it's strange that they uh they did that i i don't i didn't think too much of joseph uh trapanese's music uh i mean i didn't it didn't bother me it worked fine um it it, it does strike me as strange though uh consider i mean I, I i completely agree with jj really it's you know I, it's why would they make that choice when they know who their target audience is unless anybody has any vital additions to this film anything you've been you've been holding now's time to play those cards because we're going to move into ranking let's rank let's do it the great tommy handsome it started with divergent now insurgent is emergent film board you are convergent in my absence i didn't see the film I was at a merchant for detergent flick chart. Oh, <laughs> needn't have bothered. Thank you, Tommy from uh, from abroad. Where's his? <laughs> he's, abroad. He's on the. He's, he's sailing the seven seas, but he is due to be back next month. Uh, for now, head over to fl- to flickchart.com/tnrfilmboard, and you can catch up with all the films we have ranked uh, on this very special uh, monthly uh, series. How many are we up to? We got to be up to what? 30? This will be this will be the thirty second. Thirty two. 
Film number 32. And we're going to see if this one breaks. Um, I'm going to put uh, the top 25. Five? Yeah. <laughs> Let's see. Are you ready? I'm ready. First up, Insurgent or Cloud Atlas? I will definitely pick Cloud Atlas. Cloud Atlas. Cloud Atlas. Cloud Atlas. All right. Insurgent or huh, some Akiva Goldsman action here, The Wolverine. Oh wait, it wasn't who it wasn't him on the Wolverine. It was the other writer, right? Uh, right, right. Uh, yeah, you're right. right. Yeah. Goldman's on it. Goldman's on it? No. Mm. No, no. It was the other guy, the Mark Bombach. Yes. Bombach. Bombach. Yeah, right. it was Mark Bombach. Oh, oh, oh! Because the first part of the first. Third of Wolverine is really good, and then there's the bullet train fight, and then, then there's the arrow. The air, the so, <laughs> always go to the arrow shot, uh, but they're be- still, but still like the such the bad like I'm in a giant steel samurai suit fight. But <laughs> well, I'll be, uh, l- let me objectively say because I haven't seen the Wolverine and I've heard you guys talk about the Wolverine <laughs> that it has like three or four and i'm a huge marvel comics fan and i still haven't seen it because i'm scared that i'm gonna hate it that's Um, probably a safe play (laughs) right so but the fact that you bring up like three awesome things about it if you can find three awesome things about insurgent then you can put that one otherwise you should probably go with. i like jj he can come back yeah it's got (laughs) too what's her name ninja girl at the beginning who's very cool and we don't have we don't have the depth of character in insurgent that we do it wolverine so i'm on wolverine train wolverine. yeah there we go i'll I'll jump on the wolverine bullet train okay <laughs> all right insurgent or oz the great and powerful insurgent oh, oh really yes really? I, yes, I, I would I, pick insurgent the, the line must be drawn here no further oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah probably probably Commit, Steve. Uh, Commit. Yeah, I'll, yeah, I'll go with insert on that one. Yeah. yeah, yeah. JJ, have you seen Oz? No. Uh, I, I brought a I brought a uh, infant to Oz that uh, that didn't go so well. So we ended up <laughs> walking around the mall as my wife and my. So the Wolverine. Right. The Wolverine. Yeah. No, we we just Oz. we just went. Oh, Oz. Surgeon so, instead of. I mean Oz. <laughs> I'd like to vote for the Wolverine again. I don't accept <laughs> these two choices. <laughs> So insurgent over Oz. Yes. Yes. Okay. Commit. Yes, I'm committing. That yes. should be it, right? We went straight to the bottom. No, we're not quite at the bottom. No, we're not yet. At the bottom. Insurgent or the Monuments Men. <gasps> oh, right. I would do insurgent over Monuments Men. Hmm. I still that was really biggest user. I enjoyed Monuments Men. Now, I'm going to have to go with Andy on this one. I'm going with insurgent. Go with that, JJ. JJ, have you seen yes. Monuments Men? Insurgent. Insurgent. No, but go with that because I'm excited for your next battle. Because <laughs> it's going to go against like Black Hat or something? No. No, we're not going down. No, we're not. We're, we're oh. working our way up from oh. the bottom. Is <laughs> oh, that's right. Black Hat is at the very bottom. Okay. <laughs> insurgent, oh. or the, insurgent or the Hunger Games Mockingjay Part 1. Oh. Oh. oh, wow. Ah. Oh, good I would pick Insurgent, I think. I these these move. I mean, this is They're six to one, half dozen to the other. We had the are. same problems with that film, uh, right? That and that did. was even. I think actually that was the Hunger Games was even more disappointing because it was coming off of Catching Fire, which was a which win. Was great, yes. yeah, which was really solid. I'm going to go with Insurgent on principle. Insurgent. I'm Insurgent, yeah. Steve. Yeah, yeah. I I just watched Mockingjay with because my kids never got a chance to see it in the theater. We just. Watched it and yeah, I would go with Insurgent. All right, that puts it at twenty-five out of thirty-two. Right, <laughs> oh, right. Well, right ah. in the right He called it right at twenty-five in the crosshairs. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> That's right. It's taken me three years to get that just right. Three years. Uh, I think that's it. Do we know what we're doing next month? Have we already picked we it? We don't. We have not. So well, this will be a fun surprise. Yeah, uh, surprises. If you're curious, you can always check it out. Once we, After we end this tonight, we're going into the very difficult... Uh, we're going into... Uh, what do they call it when the Pope has to... When, when we lose a Pope, what's it called with the smoke? The Where, where all the... All I don't the know what they call it, no. but yeah. 
What's that called? Yeah, they got sequestering, right? Isn't it? Yeah. Something like it's that. Got a pope, it's got a pope word. We're going to do it's that. And we light our, uh, we light our little smoke, the white smoke, when we decide a movie. And you can find that smoke on letterboxd.com, uh, where you'll see a list that uh, Andy lovingly curates. Uh, lovingly, That's right. we'll really have a lovingly. List on there. <laughs> lovingly, lately, definitely. Uh, yeah, we have a list on there of the next real film boards watch list, and so we will add our next film to that list. You can check it out as soon as we make the decision. But you can bet it's not going to be Paul Blart Mall Cop Two. <laughs> <laughs> no, you can bet it will be. Andy (laughs) Thank you everybody for uh, Taking the time to download the show To listen to the show Thank you all uh, The gang of thugs For uh, making time to have this conversation Andy Nelson always a treat Absolutely Steve Sarmento back on the road to you sir Oh thank you it's been a pleasure And our first timer howdy do guys JJ Justin Yeager Did a great job and he's welcome back next time There we go JJ, Please let me come back. <laughs> Thank you for joining us, my friend. It's all—it's really good to hear your voice on the show. Thanks. Uh, excellent. Hey, thanks, everybody, and we'll catch you next month. TNR Film Board. This week, this coming week, however, uh, Andy and I are diving back into our film noir series with uh, 1945's Detour. And uh, it's a short film. You can find it on Hulu+. Plus. It's a Criterion collection. You should watch it and then come listen to us talk about it because, wow, what a film. That's it. Good night. I don't know who said that I should ever have a microphone, but that person is a genius. Tommy out. Mic drop. Here on the film board, we have covered quite a variety of great page-to-screen adaptations over the years, from superheroes like Christopher Nolan's The Dark Knight Rises, based on stories like Nightfall and The Dark Knight Returns, to horror and sci-fi like Max Brooks's World War Z and Hiroshi Sakazuraka's All You Need Is Kill, which became one of our favorites, Edge of Tomorrow, with Tom Cruise and Emily Blunt. And who could forget Andy Weir's stranded astronaut adventure, The Martian, or Dave Eggers' tech thriller, The Circle? Supposedly so much better than the movie. We've also explored Stephen King epics like The Dark Tower and It, biopics like Damien Chazelle's First Man, and sweeping sagas like Denis Villeneuve's take on Frank Herbert's Dune. And don't forget Martin Scorsese's Killers of the Flower Moon, based on David Grand's nonfiction book about the 1920s murders of the Osage Nation. I just finished the book, and it's fantastic. It's always fascinating to look at the source material, and we often do as the book lovers we are. For those of you out there who love to do the same, head to thenextreel.com slash originals to find all of our past episodes and dive deeper into these adapted stories. And it's not just stories. We've included things like the video games Uncharted and Detective Pikachu. That's right. TheNextReel.com slash originals is your one-stop shop for in-depth looks at the sources for cinematic adaptations that we have discussed. Every purchase you make supports the film board and The Next Reel's family of shows. So what are you waiting for? Head to TheNextReel.com slash originals and get your next read today. (laughs) 